seven, six, five, four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. This is it. A new concept is born. The best of TV combined with the best of radio. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. You don't know you're beautiful. How does it? I don't know how it goes. Hello and welcome to the It's Nice That podcast with me, Alex Beck. And me, Will Hudson. Nice That is a website showcasing creative work from all around the world. Looking at everything from design to video, photography and everything else in between. In this series, we're going to pick creative things that people like and experience and try to work out why they're successful. Today we're speaking about something that I guess is very dear to my heart. I was writing about this subject for about five years and it's nice that every single Monday morning lots of these things get shared around the office all the time um, we all have different ways in we have our favorite today we're going to be looking at music videos yeah something that I think I might know or have an opinion about <laughs> good well that's that's a relief for all our listeners out there Will has an opinion on this topic so I don't know it's something that we both feel very familiar with obviously a lot of people are very familiar with music videos we were children of the 80s so MTV was obviously a big part of our childhood. Massive part. I have a, I have a really good story about MTV and music TV. <laughs> music TV. Oh my Is god. Is that not what <laughs> Stick with us. So when we had Virgin Media installed, which I think was called like Birmingham Broadband or something, when the guy's there setting it up, and I think it was during a school holiday, when he got it working, the first channel that came on was a channel called The Box. Do you remember the box? Yeah, I do remember the box with the, the ticker along the bottom. Yeah, and it was back-to-back music videos. That was all it was. And the first music video that came on when he turned on the TV in the box was Jamiroquai's Virtual Insanity. Virtual? <laughs> you mean Virtual Insanity? Yeah. Great stuff. That's the one. It's the music video where the floor's moving and the walls are moving. And like visually, it's interesting. And I guess as a teenager, I thought Jamiroquai was quite good. That video is amazing. I love that video. Did you know who directed that music video? No. Jonathan Glazer. There you go. Isn't that amazing? I only found that out in, in the research for this. It's funny that in our generation, there were those three famous music video DVDs, those directors, you know, it was Gondry, Chris Cunningham, John Glazer. And actually, was Spike Jones one of them? Yeah. Well, those DVDs seem to completely inform our generation's understanding of music videos. They were the be-all and end-all. And all that was was picking directors that had done a number of music videos. They showed the music video, but they spoke to like the musician, they spoke to the people that worked on it, they spoke to kind of cultural figures from around that time. I remember going to your room in uni in halls, you had all four of those videos, and I was like, posh kid. Posh? <laughs> oh, four DVDs? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Do you have a favourite? I have so many favourite music videos. For me, thinking about that and thinking about favourites was almost like word association. I thought of one, and that reminded me of that also album I liked at the time, which reminded me of a girlfriend or reminded me of a mate or reminded me of a holiday. And it's weirdly easy to just get completely lost in it. That I didn't really need any encouragement to go and find another one. It was like that linked to that linked to that, which I don't really have now. But in the same way, I have the same feeling when I hear certain albums. I still think there's a similar thing with music videos as there are record sleeves, which is my favourite music videos tend to be my favourite music. 
I don't watch them going, oh, this is a really great short film. It's like, unless I want to listen to the song, I'm just not interested. I couldn't name a Katy Perry music video. Yeah, right. Because I've never, I've <laughs> never gone, really want to check out that latest um, Katy Perry music. Like, uh, okay, what about this? And I'm with you because a great music video needs a great song, I think. I really do think that, that the ones that stand the test of the time or the ones that really have proper legacy are the ones that are amazing songs. I bet there's tons of really great ones that we didn't really ever think of or even refer back to for this. But what I kind of ended up thinking about is there's certain artists who nail a back catalogue of music videos, don't they? Like there's a, you've got a Radiohead or you've got a Fatboy Slim. I don't know, I love that depth from one artist to really nail like almost a body of work. It doesn't really seem to matter what the music is or who they work with. There's always a dedication to make them amazing and you know chemical brothers all of those with michelle gondry the star guitar and there's just so many beautiful music videos there that i don't know if people do that looking at their music videos as a body anymore it's, it's cliche to go back to kind of like pulling out context as reason for stuff but the likes of radiohead i think because of who they are and the brand that is radiohead they have to go and do those kind of music videos the likes of One Direction. I ventured into One Direction music videos for the research of this. Yeah, right. It's exactly what you'd imagine. The song, is it You Don't Know You're Beautiful? I almost started singing it then. What no. Makes You Beautiful? Don't pretend. But... 862 million views. It's basically them just pissing about by the sea, just like frolicking around, splashing in the sea. But that's what the audience wants, mate. Exactly. But that's what I mean. It's like you almost Radiohead have to have Radiohead-style music videos. One Direction could not get away with trying to do something that experimental. But the big difference is, to Radiohead, I believe that the way they approach them is very natural for who they are. For me, One Direction, they're going, frolic in the sea, get your hair wet, Harry, wear long, a T-shirt. Long hair as well. <laughs> wear yeah, a yeah. T-shirt. Zayn was still hanging out. That's a it bit was... see-through. Bosh, you got yourself a hit. But, it's, but that's what I mean, is it's servicing the people that it's trying to talk to. But the absolute queen, Beyonce, Lemonade, or that, that one before that where she released a video for every single track. That, for me, is genius. And I hadn't really engaged with Lemonade as a concept, but watching that all night, that first song and the way she sets that up, it's beautiful, man. It's like an incredible bit of cinema. It's an amazing film, amazing trailer. And for me, that's the other end of where it can get incredible is like really amazing short films set to music. Like the other way around, forget the music completely. It, she's making such a more interesting, broader point than just oh, I'm promoting my album. I think music videos go beyond just promoting an album or can do if they're really amazing. I've got so much more respect for Beyonce. And I think she actually fits that example of the music that I otherwise wouldn't have engaged with. But watching some of her music videos, they are so consistently brilliant. And I really enjoyed watching them. MTV was only really started in 1981. That's older than both me and you, Will. So I'm interested mostly in finding out how they've actually changed over those times. What makes a brilliant one? What we really remember about them? What stands out? And I want to know what's your favourite one, Will. Later, Alex. Uh, I'm interested in what actually goes into making them. I think when they're at their best, they look effortless and super simple, but I'm sure there's loads more that goes into actually making them happen. We'll be speaking to music critic, writer and professor of media studies at Evergreen State College, Gina Arnold. We're also going to be hearing from Beyonce's longtime choreographer and creative director, Frank Gatson Jr., as well as young thug video director, Ryan Stack. What about sunrise? The music video that always sticks out to me is Earth Song by Michael Jackson. What about... 
you know, the whole the, the the whole video, the whole song is just a question. You know, what about everyone? Like, what about humanity? So it's Michael Jackson's humanitarian sort of preach love song. Is there a time? It was like the most heartfelt one because it was like him and the people. It was like him and like the Native Americans and like the destroyed earth. It was like the ends of the world. And he was in rag, ragged clothes with a white T-shirt, obviously looking just like super clean. And he was just sort of just in the middle screaming and everyone else around him was just in pain. As a seven-year-old, I don't, I don't know if I really probably took in the, like, what it was really about. I just quite liked the song and I liked when he did the breakdown and screamed. I always used to sing along to it. Our next guest is a seasoned music journalist. Hi, I'm Gina Arnold. I worked for Rolling Stones, Spin, The Village Voice, and a lot of other places. And I wrote three books about music, including a book about Nirvana. She's currently professor of media studies at Evergreen State College and edited a book called Music Video, Histories, Aesthetics, Media, due out later this year. It's a collection of about 30 essays that discuss the origins of music video and how music video has evolved from its initial sort of conception as a promotional tool. So the origins of music videos were as a commercial promotional tool, right? That's how they came to be. Well, essentially, the music video as we know it or as it's talked about uh, in culture is as a, a promotional vehicle, an expansion of music into a more visual realm, which at the time that it became popular in about 1980, people saw music as sort of coming to an end, like rock music as being kind of near, on its last legs. The visual form was sort of a way to enhance it and bring it to more people. And then obviously it's become something completely different now. You know, what have been the major things between the 1980s and now? Well, the, the most uh, important change is just the way that music videos are disseminated. To begin with, they were only shown on cable television in America, and I think similarly in England. The, the main place that you would see an actual promotional video would be on a cable station, which was kind of a limited audience. So that kind of limited its audience sort of the same way that a radio station would have its own sort of parameters of who would be listening. Um, but because of the Internet and streaming and YouTube and, all, and social media and all the different ways that videos can now be circulated, they have a much, much wider audience and also a much, much broader number of people are making them because of the ease now of using iPhones and things like that to make your own video. So basically the consumer has become the creator and that's really changed what these videos look like. Am I right in thinking that you once had an assignment to watch MTV for 24 hours straight? Am I making <laughs> I that did. up? <laughs> no, 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 that's true. I, yeah, I uh, had that, that assignment quite early in the world of MTV, so it was about 1985, maybe 1986. And at the time, it seemed sort of innovative to stay up all night for 24 hours watching MTV. Now you would just ask them to send you the playlist. But what I found out was that they only played about nine or ten videos per hour. So I remember I saw one Paul Abdul video something like 12 times. Wow. And by the, by the 12th time, you start to have suicidal thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of cliches in videos. And although you notice them the first time, by the 12th time, you really find you have a lot to say about it. What are some of the cliches you saw then? <laughs> well, those were the days when people used to act out the lyrics to videos. So, I mean, to a song in a video. So a video would basically be either the artist 
singing the song and then breaking away to a sort of acted out scene of a girl and a guy having a fight or whatever the song was about. Or there would be the quote-unquote creative videos where people danced in formation, usually sort of a triangular formation with someone at the front, the star at the front, and everybody else kind of branching backwards, doing these kind of hip-hoppy dances. So, so those were the two main cliches at the time. And am I right in saying that as a result of the music video being introduced, some bands actually kind of suffered because essentially kind of the way in which they looked hampered their opportunity to get signed? Yeah, I think that's very true. I think that did happen, although it would be very difficult to quantify that or say to whom it happened to. But there was a lot of anxiety in the 80s amongst rock critics and sort of cultural critics that the advent of the music video was going to sort of ruin the authenticity of music and take away its musicality by emphasizing instead visual aspects. And to a certain extent, that did happen. And certainly music companies started to look more at how bands looked and how they performed in static settings more than at the music. That makes sense. And so is there a point or are there any good examples of bands who took the video from being a promotional tool to more of an art form? Yeah, there was a lot of bands who used it to their advantage, especially in England. For some reason, a lot of bands really saw the potential of music videos more than in America. Um, in America, a lot of bands become big or get signed by going on tour and playing live for years and years and years, um, and they, they sort of hone their live skills. But in England, a lot of bands become, sort of form bands and become quite big very, very quickly when they're 18 or 19 years old. You know, they get on the cover of NME and they, they don't really play that much, so they're not always as good live. And for a lot of those bands, the music video was really, really crucial in getting huge. So bands like Depeche Mode and New Order, I think, really took advantage of the mode. Bands that were a lot about fashion and style. In your expert opinion, no pressure, what makes a really great music video? Um, I think a really great music video is one that conveys the vision of the song in terms of its mood or its emotion without being too rigid in plot or in interpreting lyrics. I think uh, sometimes there's some, been some very great uh, directors who've been able to do that. Um, Anton Corbin is one that comes to mind. And some of the New Order videos that have been really good, uh, I think there was one by Jonathan Demme who recently passed away, you know, that were able to just kind of add a mood to the song without uh, actually imposing a lot of meaning into it. And then sometimes the meaning becomes clear through the visuals. And do you think what tends to happen is that the song and how popular the band is or the artist is, it's reflected in the music video. Have you identified many music videos where the music video is hailed, but the song is actually kind of dismissed? No, I think one of the surprising things about music videos is that they really are only as good as the song. OK Go are a band with music, although good is not not probably transcendently good. They they almost fit more into the museum quality music video that you would expect to see their their videos in an art museum, you know, maybe at the Venice Biennale or the Whitney Biennale, um, you know, on the wall next to things by Nam June Pike or something like that. <laughs> so they do put that kind of care into their videos. I have to ask you what your favorite music video of all time is. Sorry, it's such an obvious question. It is an obvious question, and my answer is probably really, really obvious also, which is, I think, Smells Like Teen Spirit by... Nirvana is probably my favorite music video, in part because of my own association with the band and because at that time was such an exciting time in my life, but also because I thought 
that particular video in which they play the song live in a high school gym to a very, very dark, gothic version of any American high school where the the cheerleaders, instead of being the pretty blonde girls, are dark-haired girls with tattoos wearing anarchy symbols on their chest, and where the janitor of the gym is is dancing to this song, was just a perfect, perfect uh, crystallization of their vision and their role in America. It was transcendent in the sense that they managed to convey that so well in that video. Also, kind of so simply and kind of almost traditionally, right, it's a band playing their song to the camera in a um, obviously there's more drama around it than that but it's amazing that yeah it kind of hops back to that original purpose of the music video was to show the people playing the music right yeah it did a lot of things and it did them very well it, that that song has very impenetrable lyrics you know a new motto an albino a mosquito a denial what what did they mean um i think for some reason, everybody in America understood exactly what they meant at the same time, despite the impenetrability. And part of that was because of that video. Do you think there's a formula for a great music video? Do you think there's some tick boxes you can do to guarantee success? Oh, wow. Um, a, a formula? No, if there was a formula for it, then everybody would immediately uh, do it, right? It has to be original, and I do think if I were in a band and I was going to make a music video, I would find a a director, a film director, or a visual artist who I, whose work I admired, and I would ask them if they could relate to my music, what they heard in my music. That's how I would go about it. Gina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much. Good luck. It must be amazing to look back as far as she has and to see the absolute massive difference. The idea that that Nirvana video that she spoke about which is a great video would only have been seen on mtv but the the nirvana thing weirdly i totally understand within the context that the year that would have come out you'd have had kids watching that going that's what i'm buying into that is like a piece that says if you're into nirvana this is the look this is the attitude this is everything which you definitely get some of through just listening to the music but accompanied with the video it's just so reinforced and I love the idea that the consumer has become the creator. I get very excited about that idea that, that democratisation, that anyone can kind of make a music video now, right? People have got a phone, they can, they can do that very cheaply and it isn't this elite thing anymore. I find that really exciting. It must be terrifying a bit for music video directors, but I guess not many people are making a living out of music videos anymore, right? No, but I think like everything, when, when people feel threatened about the democratisation of something, it will give people who aren't necessarily getting visibility the opportunity to kind of be flung into that world through being proactive and doing something and getting it out there. And with the likes of YouTube, it's very easy to do that now. But you're still not going to get... Beyonce's not going to go, let's get that kid that did that thing on his iPhone. But the kid might get his first job as a runner, might get his first job as a as an assistant and, and build their way up in that way. I think that's great. I also thought what Gina said about how a music video can only be as good as the song. I'm very interested to talk to a director to actually see if they agree with that. How I remember it might not be true, but I feel like Jerry was wearing like clay pants, like pants made out of clay. And they were all just like, come on! Like as if like women were like football hooligans. And before that, I'd never seen women act like football hooligans. And for me, that was like really liberating. And I saw them and they were like, come on! And actually, since then, I haven't seen, like for me, seen women be like fucking 
come on. And I loved that, and I think it, I responded to that. And everyone at my school, I was 13, responded to that. So I went into the playground, and it was a summer holiday that, that came out, and I went back in September, and the coolest girl in the year came up to me in the playground. She was like, have you heard about the Spice Girls? Have you seen their new video? Like, it was revolutionary. You have got to give. Taking is too easy, but that's the way it is. Our next guest has choreographed pretty much every Beyonce dance since she was in Destiny's Child. My name is Frank Gatson Jr. G-A-T-S-O-N, not G-A-S-T-O-N. Those are the rich ones from France. He's worked with some of the biggest names in music history, including Michael Jackson. I am a director, I'm a creative director, and I'm a choreographer, and I'm a manager. So I uh, kind of do it all. Let's hear from Frank Gatson Jr. I was supposed to go to school to be a lawyer, okay? I went to University of Wisconsin in Madison. But I had gone to Broadway in my senior year to go see The Wiz. And the monkeys... They were guy dancers. They weren't the guys on motorcycles with bad breath and big rotten teeth. They were beautiful black guys who jumped and danced so high. And I said, I want to do that. But, you know, you don't think you can do that coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I um, went to college. But when I was in the University of Wisconsin in Madison, because I had that bug of seeing those guys dance in the whiz, I took dance classes, like, on the low at University of Wisconsin in Madison. And uh, I went on the road for three years, traveling the world, dancing and singing with this group called Up With People. People thought we were a cult, but we weren't a cult. You know, we did all kind of dancing. You know, we did uh, folkloric dancing, we did Spanish dancing, we did Russian dancing, we did 1920s dancing, we did 1960s dancing. And it was just such a valuable thing in my life. And I think I was a star. I was a star in it. But when I got out of it, I didn't have the goods. You know, I didn't have this, the, the training I needed. So I moved to New York, and I started training at Alvin Ailey, and I started training at a place called the Broadway Dance Center. And then um, many people don't know this, and I'm going to tell you this just because you need to know this, but I interviewed to be a flight attendant, and I got it. But I let nobody know. I felt like I was Superman. I traveled all around the world and I would dance everywhere in Paris, everywhere, and audition everywhere. But then I flew into LA and auditioned for a smooth criminal. And I got it. You know, I guess life is like destiny and your fate is going to be what it's going to be. It was amazing. Like, Michael has so much money in the budget to do a music video. We spent like two months on that video. They don't do that anymore. Like, we would come to the set every day. They would put us in full hair, makeup, wardrobe, and we would learn movement in full hair, makeup, and wardrobe. That was amazing, okay? Then, you know, they had removable walls. They had cameras everywhere. I, you know, I think the producer of Superman produced this movie. You got more movement. It should be more like, like something's going on inside you. I mean, that's why when we build it to a mountain and we bring it back down. And every day was just an experience. And Michael would come, and he would just be the nicest guy. His mother came to the set, and uh, she was there with her friend. She's sitting there watching her son, and um, she was eating popcorn. And you know how when women eat popcorn, you get the salt on your finger, and you twinkle your finger to make the salt come off? 
So I saw Michael Jackson's mother do this. That's when I knew Michael was human. And I said to myself right then and there, they're black just like my mother. I can be a star. And then I'm going to skip ahead. There's a lot of artists I work with. There's a lot of music videos that I danced in. And uh, I, I just did a lot of various videos. So I got Body Glove, Dancing as a Dancer, In Vogue. I did, I even danced in Janet Jackson all right as a dancer. You know, I'm in there doing a split. I, I just got to say it in a humble way, please get my resume from my agent and then me because it's a lot of people. I've, I'm very fortunate to have a career since 1987. And now a lady from Columbia Records named uh, Camille sees my work with Invoke and she introduces me to Destiny's Child. And that's where I first meet Beyonce. Uh, and, and I'll never forget her walking in the room. And I swear to God, I walked out of that rehearsal that day, that very first day, the video we were, we were rehearsing for was no, 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 no. I told everybody, I just met the second coming of Michael Jackson. Everybody laughed. But now they see, okay? So that's the fact. I've done every video with Beyonce since she started her solo career. Uh, I didn't work with Lemonade because I was uh, working with my girl group and doing a TV show with uh, Kelly. But everything Beyonce's done, I've done since Crazy in Love. I won an MTV award with her on that. Single Ladies, of course. The inspiration for Single Ladies was uh, Beyonce and myself at two different times in our lives. I guess we saw this video on YouTube called The Mexican Breakfast Club. But somebody had taken the video of the Mexican Breakfast Club with Gwen Burton, Bob Fosse's wife, and edited different music called Walk It Out. And, and, you know, we had seen it way before we were getting ready to do Single Ladies, but we both remembered it. And so Beyonce, out of nowhere, called me and I'm, oh, I was in Vegas. I'll never forget that. Now that I think about it. And she said, I want to do this. I know we'll put the work in. And, you know, we took about two months, you know, working on it and changing it, working it. We auditioned all kind of girls for it. But it was just the fact that Beyonce challenged us. And then I kind of got into like a, um, what do you call it? A creative block. You know, she didn't want it to be just like Bob Fosse's choreography. She wanted it to have that feeling. So, you know, she asked me, you know, Frank, maybe you should collaborate with somebody on this. And so I started looking at people to collaborate with, but everybody was too predictable. But I remember I had done an audition for Michelle Williams, and it was this young kid who was 17 at the time. And he was just really magical and young and just some different kind of movement. So I called him on the phone. His name was Jaquel Knight. He choreographed that with me. I said, Jaquel, do you know how to J-set? Now, what J-setting is, if you ever go down to the black universities, they do this movement where the girls will do an A-count. The next line does the A-count. A then the next line does the A-count. And gay guys called this thing J-setting. And now, because Jaquel was from the South, I figured he would know what J-setting was because I wanted to do it pure, not something generic. He says, of course I know what J-setting is. So I put him on a flight to come to New York the very next day. Beyonce met him. She loved him. But she said to me, she didn't say it, she had her father say it. You know, Frank, Beyonce really loves the Kaiju Quell, but she doesn't think he's experienced enough. And I said, but I am. 
And, uh, and they trusted me. So I had this young kid, 17, 18, I think at the point, working with me. Of course, he was set in his ways and wanted to do his stuff, but I kept challenging him. I said, let's look at this again. Let's do this like this. And, and sure enough, we wrapped that video and v Beyonce called me from the car. Frank, great call on Jaquel. Oh, I get chills thinking about it right now. And also, oh, I got to say this. It was this restaurant down the street from Alvin Ailey, right? Well, that's where we rehearsed single ladies at the Alvin Ailey Studios in New York on 55th and 9th. And they used to have these hot, spicy wings at this place called Giorgio's. Shout out to Giorgio's Country Grill on 53rd and 9th. Uh, and we, when we would get in a creative block, we would go eat these wings and they would make, we call them the single lady wings. They would make magic for us. Even Beyonce's ate a few of these wings back in the day. They were that good, okay? Uh, and so we give a lot of credit to those spicy uh, chicken wings. <laughs> what makes a great music video and does it always have to have dancing to like it? No. Probably the greatest music video of all times uh, is Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you. It was amazing. It was magical. How could that woman just have that one shot and captivate you like that? That's kind of like dance, if you really believe, just, just her expression. So, see, dance is not always a lot of steps. Dance can be me just isolating my one index finger over and over again. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I worked with a director called Matthew Ross. Like, a lot of times... Artists would be upset because Matthew would hire me as a choreographer, but there was no choreography in the video. And what Matthew would do, he would want me to work with the artist on just how to stand and how to project and how to sit in a chair the right way. So is that choreography? No. You know what I call it? I call it gestureography. I would think every video that's ever been created since the beginning of time has either gestureography in it or choreography. So movement is not always dance, if, as you would say. It could be how you sat in a chair. It could be how you're crossing your leg. It could be how you're looking into the camera. So dance seems like in some way is always part of it. I've been wanting to talk to you about your gestureography, actually. <laughs> you got in there first. Thank, I had exactly so. <laughs> you bastard. Um, um, how, how boring do you feel after listening to him? I know. What I want to hang out with Frank. What an, yeah, you are. Yeah, let's forget each other, mate. Frank Gatson Jr. is the one for me. He's amazing. Yeah, gold. It is that thing of as soon as you start hearing the people that have been there, worked and, and has built up the kind of resume, as he said, that he, and it, I imagine it is like pages and pages and pages. You do just get a, a newfound respect for something that... I mean, Beyonce's videos obviously look like, yes, there's a lot of work that's gone into them. But suddenly you go, no, there's, there's, there's a lot of work that's but gone also, into them. Also, that single ladies video is deceptively simple, right? It's three of them dancing, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just beautifully shot and it's amazing. But you think, yeah, the choreography is amazing. But I guess to the layman, you don't realise how much goes into that or how out there it is. And that music video has been copied and re-uploaded to YouTube so many times. I just thought you need, we need to go and look for more lawyers and flight attendants and get them choreographing. Choreographing? Brilliant. Uh, more music <laughs> videos. Um, but I love as well the, the way in which he leveraged that flight attendant job to go and dance and go and do it. In, and he obviously saw so many different things from different um, cities that he was in. It's, it's funny when you hear people that motivated and that talented talk about fate that actually, no, none of it was really for me about fate. The guy put himself in all of those amazing positions and the smooth criminal job is not fate. That is making your own luck. And I mean, I'm just completely in awe. I wish that we could talk to him all day. And Giorgio's, let's get some of those wings in. S smooth criminal, though, two months for what must be a 
five, six minute music videos? They were really long back back then, wasn't they? He always did really, really long ones. It is mad, isn't it? Do you think it's good that you could spend two months making a music video or is that a waste of time? I don't know. That music video obviously stands the test of time. Like that is one. And I think, again, I think so much is intrinsically linked with the actual music. So Michael Jackson has such a broad appeal. So naturally you're going to get more people view that music video, the way in which he moved, and it becomes a spectacle. It is something that you want to watch, whether or not you're kind of interested in the music or not. But I think the music, there's something about Michael Jackson music that that people, it's difficult to not enjoy listening to it. So now, Will, we've got a great idea of what goes into the choreography and all of the work behind that side of the music video. But what happens from the director's side? Our next guest is a director of production company Pomp and Clout. Uh, hey, I'm Ryan Stack. I'm a music video director. I work a lot in uh, VR, uh, augmented reality. Now I'm going to talk about my stuff a bit today. He is well known for turning what could have been a disastrous video shoot into a hilarious poke at the artist he was trying to help promote. Why don't you kick off, Ryan, by telling us how you got into making music videos and a little bit about your background. So yeah, I got into music videos initially, kind of through graphic design, actually. I went to school for graphic design and was just always really interested in in kind of making my work move and just kind of, I guess, you know, kind of shifting um, from print into, into animation. And I guess from animation, I kind of got into live action video and, you know, initially through sampling and ultimately through shooting my own work. I, I actually did one of my first projects in music videos. I guess not quite music videos, but I did the initial tour visuals for Major Laser when they started out after Diplo saw something that I'd done on MySpace and liked <laughs> it, and which, which was a thing at the time, so that dates me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, he liked, he liked this kind of video flyer that I'd done for, for these parties that I was throwing in, in Providence with some friends. And uh, from there, I kind of realized that you know short form video for the music industry was was a possible route for me and uh and kind of shifted into doing music videos thereafter so that's kind of my my roundabout way of getting into the industry for our listeners who don't really know about the process of making music video how does that go are you sending loads of treatments are you approaching the artist how does it all kick off it's a little bit different every time but the gist of it is that you commonly are are approached by a commissioner, a video commissioner at a label who will approach you or your production company and and say, Hey, we're looking for, you know, a video for X track by or by Y artist. And, you know, we have roughly this budget and this is kind of the the loose creative brief of what they're looking for. You know, they really want a performance video with kind of like, you know, some various cool setups or they want something conceptual and they don't want the artist in it, or we have no idea what we want. And that's why we're coming to you. Um, But it just kind of starts with that loose or strict guideline of what they're looking for. Um, and then if you want to do it, you, you know, listen to the track way too much and then kind of start to formulate an idea that, that you think fits that and then put it together in a treatment form, which is, you know, a bit different for every director. For, for me, I work in InDesign and just make like kind of a primarily visual treatment with, you know, images that I'm sourcing or mocking up uh, in Photoshop and then text describing what I'm talking about. But yeah, basically, if the if the label, you know, likes the idea that you put forth and they want to kind of pursue it, almost always gets rushed into production and you have a lot less time than you <laughs> would like to do it. And you go forward and do it and, uh, you know, make it happen. Um, but that's kind of the, the gist of it. How, how often are you saying no to those briefs? How often are they just like completely unrealistic or there's no budget or, you know? Probably one in every three things at this point I'm going for. I'm kind of getting a bit more snotty and like what I want to take um just because I've, I've yeah I just I, I have like specific ideas that I really want to do and I uh 
don't want to get caught up putting all that blood, sweat, and tears into something that I don't really enjoy. And and how collaborative is that process? Do you like to kind of involve the artist in it, or do you prefer to kind of go, this is my area of expertise, I'm going to kind of get on and tell you what I think is best? I kind of like just kind of being this person who's brought into the process and just kind of having my free reign to do what I really want to do. Like, I very well know that you may not like it, but like, this is this is my contribution and um, can I take it or leave it sort of thing. I think a lot of directors are much better at being a bit more collaborative with artists. I, I think what, what that makes happen when I, or what, what that kind of uh, gives birth to when I do ideas like that is like, I, I tend to do things that are, I guess, generally a bit a bit divergent from what people expect for videos sometimes for these tracks. And I think that's kind of been my my thing, I guess, is that I, I come with a bit more left field solutions to some of these things sometimes. And, and sometimes people love that. Sometimes people hate it. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of how I, how I prefer to work. A polite way of saying you're difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I, I will say that, I mean, my, my, my most recent video, the, the young thug video, you know, that's, that's one where young thug came with a very specific idea that he wanted to do. And I, I really liked it. And that was, you know, the, the plan that I went into it with to, uh, to make and it it obviously didn't really pan out that way in the end for people who haven't seen it he, he didn't show up and we kind of made the the video about the fact that he didn't show up but that in itself was like a you know a creative gesture that he made simply by not showing up and kind of kind of made the video what it is yeah in cases like that i i am a bit more receptive to collaboration like that and and how much of a battle was that because obviously the whole production for the young thug video was all on the assumption that he was going to show up he was going to be part of it you then get to the end of that day shoot and he's not turned up how did you actually go about getting a music video out for that throughout the shoot it was i mean it, it was just falling apart and it was it was really painful to to be there on set for that and just like see everything like like just nothing going right because he wasn't there and you know things going you know poorly in addition to that that weren't even related to him not showing up but uh <laughs> but i guess after the fact you know it's it's kind of it was one of those situations where I basically had to pitch the label a new treatment where I just like talked about kind of in very blunt terms, the fact that we didn't have um, a video there, you know, like I'd looked through the footage after we shot, you know, and confirmed our uh, worst nightmares that we didn't have anything really usable, um, you know, and, and just kind of pitched them this new idea where I was like, we shouldn't even bother reshooting, like nothing we have here is really going to work with the intentional approach in mind, like we should do to something totally different and just kind of own this, this disaster. And I also offered to like do that approach for uh, for no added budget, you know, which I think kind of helped to grease the wheels on that one. <laughs> and I, I think in that case, you know, I just benefited from this like perfect storm of, you know, an artist whose whole identity is kind of based on, you know, kind of being, a, a, I guess, kind of doing things his own way and, and not, not caring as much about a lot of the expectations that a lot of other artists might have. Um, and then I also benefited from, you know, the, the label being, you know, a, a tens of thousands of dollars in, in on this video already and kind of wanting to see some sort of return on it. So kind of being, being so far in that they want to, they want to kind of find their way out. And then also just kind of uh, having a label that I was working with that once I pitched this to them kind of saw the value in it instead of kind of being offended by it. So I think kind of that trio of things really helped to, to make it, um, you know, make it something that was able to to come out and happen when when you're getting briefed from the labels um, and to, to whatever degree the artists involved, what do they deem as success? How much do YouTube views play into that? What do they want to get out of a music video? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a big part of it is you know they want to get views, and I think that's kind of their their primary you know metric they're using to to get a sense of 
you know, return on their on their investment. They're looking for press. I mean, I think that's, you know, just to briefly get back to the Young Thug video too, I think that was a big part of the pitch as well was that I, I had a page in the treatment, the treatment where I talked about kind of the failed video approach where I spoke to the, you know, the possible press that this was going to get like mocked up web browser pages that would like be like, you know, complex.com or rollingstone.com with the headline that's like, you know, Young Thug didn't show up to his video and they still made it and tried to like speak to the actual press reception that this might get. And I think that kind of speaking that language was was playing directly into like what they really were interested in getting from this video. You know, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's you know, something something beautifully shot, you know, has a great story to it, but no one's really watching it, it's, it's kind of useless to them. And do you have artists that you would absolutely love to work with? Yeah, I've, I've kind of had a, a rotating list. I think it'd be fun to do a Drake video. That'd be, that'd be a good time. And he'd probably show up, right? He he does like yeah, to appear in his own I, 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 videos. He'd, he'd, he'd be prompt. He'd be there on time. Uh, <laughs> how, how bad yeah, would yeah, it be I, that if, if the artist suddenly found out you were the um, young thug guy and just no one ever showed up for another music video <laughs> for you again because it was like, well, he can he can do it without me. So, well, that that, that that's kind of my that's my uh, that's my plight. And I'm like I'm like damaged goods. Like I always <laughs> I always think that someone's not going to show up to the date. Right. I'll just never go on dates anymore, slash videos. <laughs> you were talking about technology a little bit before, and that seems like an important part of what you're going to go into. Where have you used technology in the in the videos you've already done that our viewers can go and have a look at? Uh, I did a video for Route 94 that was actually using thermal cameras. I, I think it's pretty much entirely shot with thermal cameras. There's one or two shots that are visible light in it. I did some work with 360 cameras a while ago on this Book of Shade video that kind of got me into VR and, and playing with VR stuff and shooting VR. Um, currently doing a uh, kind of a, a, a virtual reality reinterpretation of this uh, this Diplo video that I did called Set It Off. That's these uh, infinite pole dancers on a on a stripper pole. And for that experience, um, which isn't out at the time of recording, but maybe will be when you put this out, that'll be a uh, an in person installation in New York City. And uh, it's going to involve like motion captured uh, pole dancers and and um, kind of digitally modeled uh, characters and and motion tracking for the viewers that are in the space and a lot of pretty pretty ambitious technology kind of all coming together. Me and we were talking earlier about how the song is so critically important to the success of a music video. Do you believe the video can ever be bigger than a song, or it always needs a great song? You know, the song I think in a music video is always kind of the primary driver of it you know like the 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 visual accompaniment i think is a a kind of secondary contribution of the director to the primary product of the song or whatever you know much like a you know an illustrator is illustrating a story that someone has written before them you're always naturally playing second fiddle to that a bit and if if that first element just isn't that good it definitely makes it a lot harder to uh, make something that is good and that people enjoy but I think I think it can totally be done, you know. And I think in a lot of cases, it's um, it's possible to kind of shift the perception of the song, you know, with the visual. And I think that's like the sign of a great video if it can do that. Yeah. So I guess the 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 short answer is is yes, a good song is ideal, but it's not it's not critical to make a good video from from my perspective. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Take care, guys. I thought it was quite interesting that he and kind of it was alluded to as like the personality of kind of getting his own way and you don't get that through listening to him. You don't get that kind of like, well, no, this is the deal or not. And I think there's, I'm interested in whether or not that is a big part of working in that kind of industry is actually the ability to just kind of win round and sell kind of what what direction it should take. Because 
came across so nice. Well, and I can't imagine that young thug scenario was that easy to deal with. No. I like anyone who doesn't take themselves too seriously can laugh at themselves a bit. And he seems like he can do that very comfortably, which I think is smart. I also liked how he described the idea of a music video like an illustrator illustrating a story. I'd never really thought about it like that, but obviously you can have a great illustration and a terrible story. Like you can have a great music video and a terrible song and vice versa. But if they both marry up at once, obviously that's the perfect combo. I think he, the other thing that I learned that is obvious when you think about it, but you've got to listen to that music so much before that idea resonates. And the idea of like listening to music you're not into, trying to come up with an idea, must be awful. Yeah, first world problems though, come on. I mean, oh, I've listened to this great, uh, this great artist over and over, over again. No, I'm saying if it's not a great artist oh, yeah. or it's a shit song, it's like, oh, I finally landed that Katy Perry gig. Oh, shit. <laughs> So my favorite music video definitely is Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You, because it is just this emotional journey. She just walks around in this this gorgeous, like, long, like, priest, you know, outfit. You know, she's all black, and it's depressing and stuff, and she's got these, like, cool, like, man boots, and it's black and white, a lot of it, and she just walks around, and she's walking around. I think it's London. I'm not even sure, but, you know, she's walking around, and she's just sad and alone the whole time, Um, and it's just mostly her face. That's what's so transfixing about the video, because it makes you just focus on these beautiful lines of her face and her beautiful eyes and then of course when she cries and the tear and you know it just and the whole and the words are so beautiful and then so beautiful it's like mind-blowing and her eyes just sear through you so i think that's forever my favorite music video forever but nothing i said nothing can Well, we've spoken about music videos for a little while now. So what do you think about them now? Has your opinion changed on music videos? Did you learn what you wanted to learn out of it? I think I've definitely learned that there's, there's a load more that goes into them than, than I did do before today. I will look at music videos ever so slightly differently. I will kind of now think about them as the job in which they're trying to do. Is it a promotional thing? Is it a press story? Um, what is the reason behind them existing? I think I've got a load more respect for the craft. Listening to Frank talk about the level of work and detail that goes into that choreography for the Beyonce um, music videos, I always thought there was obviously going to be loads of work, but even just hearing it, it's kind of amazing that people are putting that much thought into essentially what I think is a complete piece of art and culture beyond this promotional tool for for an artist. I do think to give those involved in the making music videos credit, I think the way in which Ryan is pushing it and wants to push new technology. And he's obviously, even with the instance with um, Young Thug that didn't go to plan, he's still there trying to find a remedy to make that thing work, not kind of charging more for it, identifying the opportunity that it could work as a press story, not just um, a music video in its own right. I do think there's a lot of music videos that are being released, and I think those that we've talked about do go above and beyond. I think it's also a massive opportunity to see the kind of big directors of the future. I think undoubtedly these guys are using music videos as an opportunity to express a creative idea, be it kind of concept or be it aesthetic or be it something that they then learn from and they'll go on and they'll be the directors of those commercials or the directors of those feature films. I have absolutely loved getting back into viewing them and I, I think I've found a... I, I remember a love for that medium that I had completely forgotten about having 
you know, not really engaging with YouTube as much as I did MTV. And I think I will really actively seek more music videos now. So. Yeah, it'd be great if someone just kind of had a channel that just played them back to back. That's a good joke. <laughs> This episode of the It's Nice That podcast was brought to you by It's Nice That and the team at Radio Wolfgang. It featured me, Will Hudson, and Alex Beck talking to Gina Arnold and Ryan Stack, as well as an insert from Frank Gatson Jr. The executive producer was Harry Watson, the producer was Ivan Manley, and the assistant producer was L. Scott. How often do you head down to the club to listen to pop songs, Al? <laughs> the golf club. <laughs> Let's not go there. Please keep going. <laughs> if not, do, do as that bit where it's like at the end, like, well, thanks for listening, just play that maybe twice. What's that? Uh, taxi driver? Ah, yeah, cool. And, uh, shower head, big knife. Is that Psycho? Okay. Dancing lady. Are, are those wolves? Dances with wolves? They kind of look more like foxes. Or a hedgehog. Okay, what's this? Uh, a radio, another wolf slash fox, and lots of people. Radio fox group? Radio wolf bunch? Radio wolf gang? Radio Wolfgang emoji title, I love it. Smiley love heart eyes, winky kiss. Hello, this is Radio with it. Yeah, we're back on air. It goes down, but we don't care. We're mobile now. We're everywhere.